up on the recording. So, um, basically, uh, I'm, I think it might be possible, based on the notes that I've got, that we may be able to conclude Hosea. Um, I, I know that series of messages to a lot of people get, I don't know, really mundane, I guess, or they think there's nothing new at the end of that rainbow, so it, you know, it wanes. Uh, Pastor Peter's always used to talk about that too. But I tell you, I, 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 I've always found that, you know, when you, when you stay with something and, and you understand what the objective is in, in, a, in a case like what we're doing here in Hosea, we're, we're trying to understand the complete application of this, this prophetic book. And I think that this is, you know, certainly not a long series, but it, it is now in part 15 this, this evening. So, um, you know, there's 14 chapters, and essentially we've taken about a fellowship for each chapter. But we're really going to probably pop through uh, a good three of them here just this evening, depending on how much we we dilly. Um, so uh, just remember, if you've got background noise or anything that you're going to be dealing with, if you want to hit your mute, if you're on a phone or uh, the online tools can be done as well. And I'm going to go ahead and get underway with Hosea, part 15, prophet of the greatest love story of the ages. And in part 14, we learned of a most important lesson in Jacob Israel's legislative history. And Judges chapter 19 and 20, there are history. And the precedents which have been established for our learning. And I think we tied it fairly well to a most appropriate modern-day application of the coronavirus crimes. Uh, certainly against Jacob Israel and indeed the world over. Children, women, men who lay dead at the doorstep, essentially. And the house of Jacob Israel in America, Europe, and, and indeed exported across the globe in Jacob Israel's name. So in Judges 19 to 20, however, the scripture says their, their hearts were knit as one to come against the workers of iniquity. Their hearts were not knit together as one to go protest Benjamin. They, their hearts were knit together to go after the transgressors, to slay them. But apparently that's not yet the case in America. So we left off at 10, chapter 10, verse 4, with the words spoken falsely. And it's a reminder to us, when we read each of these passages in Scripture, we need to be looking for it for meaning and context, every single one of them. What are these things that are being said? Why are they being said? What is the essence of them? And at 10.4, where we left off, he says, the scripture says, they have spoken words swearing falsely in making a covenant. Well, that was that covenant with Yahweh at Sinai. 
And so that's what we're talking about. We're talking about that breach. So let's pick it up with 10.5, and we're going to go all the way to 15. This is a lot of recapitulation in 10, so we're only going to have a couple of things that we'll touch on in Chapter 10, and then we'll get right into 11. In 10.5, the inhabitants of Samaria shall fear because of the calves of beth Aven, for the people thereof shall mourn over it, and the priests thereof that rejoice on it, for the glory thereof, because it is departed from it. It shall be also carried unto Assyria for a present to King Jarab. Ephraim shall receive shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his own counsel. As for Samaria, her king is cut off as the foam upon the water. The high places also of Aven, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. There they stood. The battle in Gibeah against the children of iniquity did not overtake them. It is my desire that I should chastise them, and the people shall be gathered against them when they shall bind themselves in their two furrows. Ephraim is as a heifer that is taught and loves to tread out the corn. But I passed over Upon her fair neck, I will make Ephraim to ride Judah, excuse me, to ride Judah shall plow, and Jacob shall break his quads. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, till he come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness, you have regarded iniquity, or reaped iniquity, you have eaten the fruit of lies, because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. Therefore shall a tumult arise among thy people, and all the fortress shall be spoiled, as Shalman spoiled Beth Arbel in the day of battle. The mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. So shall Bethel do to you, unto you because of your great wickedness. In a morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. What's really interesting about these verses in 5 to 15 is the summation, really, of Israel's prosperity as attributed to their calves in their minds. The priests and the people, he says, will mourn over the loss of it. And I find that that's what I see in America, is we have our calves They've, they've been erected in place of God. And the people are mourning over the loss of it. They're not mourning over the loss of God's laws and divine judgment in their land. And they're certainly not mourning over the children lying dead at their doorsteps enough so that they would immediately employ the judgment of God upon the wicked. The scripture tells us unequivocally, we are his and authorized to carry out his will in the kingdom. And in failing to carry out that will in the kingdom, 
to go after the actual wicked doers, when the wicked doers are punished, those that desire to do and seek to do wickedness will flee from the land. Why would you want to be where you're subject to having your head taken off or dashed with stones? And so they'll flee and go elsewhere. But this is not where we're at. Our hearts are not knit together for righteous judgment. And when you look at verses 7 to 8, those are recapitulations of the desolation of the land as they're being carried right off into the Assyrian captivity where weeds will grow up. You know, recapitulation from chapters 9 and and probably 8, if I recall, chapter 8. And the calves of beth Bethel was the house of God, but it's now to be beth and beth is the house of vanity. And the calves of vanity were its God or are its God. And we used to be a house of God, a people of God on the North American continent, those of Europe as well, used to, and of course, coming to this North American continent, they came here with a purpose for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so when we sold off that covenant to come for the advancement of the kingdom of Christ for a mess of pottage called a constitution in 1789, we have seen a steady decline in our destruction in spite of what those words in that document have said. Those words have been manipulated and twisted continually in order to do the will of those who love to do wickedness. There's no doubt about it. There's no escaping it. There's nobody that can try to convince you. Well, they can try, I guess, but if you've got eyes to see, you see that what has happened in the North American continent has been our de- our demise. And so God's people, Jacob Israel, have so sown evil, their just reward that he conveys through the prophet Hosea is their own social injustice, which is captivity. To them, their their national identity was in their calves, not in God. And what is our national identity in America? What is Europe's national identity? It's in these documents that we've crafted and these monuments that we've raised and the people in whom the princes that, that we hold in high regard and esteem almost to the point of, of worship. But... When you think about Moses back in Deuteronomy 9, he took their calf and broke it to the ground, to to dust, ground it to dust, I should say. And in verse 11 in chapter 10, it says Ephraim is as a heifer. Well, that's the feminine 
and and a heifer is more easily trained. You know, not a lot of ranchers here in our midst here, but you try to, you know, train a steer uh, to do the the work that you want it to. It doesn't go so well, does it, Russell? <laughs> I don't think so. And and so that's why he uses that phrase, you know, the the use of of heifer. Ephraim is a heifer that is taught and loves to tread out the corn. So we're we're taught to do evil. We're taught to do wrong. We're taught to do contrary to the will of God. And he's expressing how they're they're like ground that hasn't been plowed, so that you can actually you know, get some seeds to grow, some some seeds of righteousness. And that's why he talks about it in those terms. These are certainly some of the same things that were conveyed at Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 11, and Micah 4.13, and Jeremiah 4.8. And these prophets were, were speaking the same words, essentially, from time to time, because God is conveying the prophetic message to the various prophets in the various regions trying to get the message to the people. And if you will, let's read 13 to 15 again. You've plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies because thou did trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. Therefore shall a tumult arise among the people, and all thy fortress shall be spoiled, as Shalman spoiled Beth Arabel in the day of battle. The mother was dashed in pieces upon her children. So shall Bethel do unto you, because of your great wickedness. In a morning shall the king of Israel utterly be cut off. So shall the house of God do unto you. And this is the very essence of Second Kings chapters 18 and 19. They trusted in their way, in the multitude of their mighty men. And, you know, the tumult has arisen. Look, look at the tumult that has arisen in Europe and America, the fortress of our institutions, the gods, the mighty men. They're being spoiled. So Israel's political system, you recall, was give us a king. And Yahweh is literally showing them the rise of all their cultic symbolism, which rose up with their political demand, has come right along with it. They've been plowing that wickedness. And we are reaping the iniquity. We don't want to reconcile with this fact, which means to repent of it. We'd rather ignore it in our own self-righteousness and, and, and say it's actually not us. And Israel's glory was manifest now in their calves and their kings, their mighty men, in their political and their religious social order donkeys and elephants, Democrats and Republicans. They're being carried away captive. 
and being carried away captive with their gods. The calves that they raised up to be their gods. We, we look at ourselves today and we don't look at these documents that we raised up, which I encourage everybody, maybe we should sometimes, sometime in the future just take the document and read through it and have a discussion about what immediately comes to us as we read it and we are grounded in our grounding that we've you know, spent so many years reading the Word of God and getting away from organized religion and actually having a brain to think about what it is that we read in Scripture and the lessons in the, that are, are there for our learning and actually be able to, to see the error in the documents, literally be able to see this, there wasn't a hint of, of, of God's ultimate will in it hardly anywhere in any single provision. But that's for another time, you know, if somebody wants to do it at some point here in the future. But talk about being carried away with your gods, the very things that, that you thought were the reason for your prosperity that you couldn't even see your own decline. You couldn't see your own decrepitness, your own wretchedness. And what an affront to the God of gods. Just amazing, amazing, amazing. Chapter 11, verses 1 to 7. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Balaam and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. But they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke of their jaws and laid meat unto them, and I laid meat unto them. He shall not return into the land of Egypt, but the Assyrian shall be his king, because they refuse to return. And the sword shall abide on his cities and shall consume his branches and devour them because of their own counsels. And my people are bent to backsliding from me. Though they called them to the Most High, none at all would exalt him. None at all would exalt him. So, Sounds familiar. As we, yeah, as we look at chapter 11, Hosea again reflects and conveys more of God's absolute love and feelings toward Israel calling her his son. That's directly out of Exodus 4, 22 to 23. And this is also what he did in Poetic Harmony, recorded at Matthew 2, 15. And I just want to, for the proper context, made a note to myself that we should go back to chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. I'm going to read from 6 to 12. Deuteronomy 32, 6 to 12. 
Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that has bought thee? Has he not made thee and established thee? Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask thy father, and he'll show thee, thy elders, and they will tell thee. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land, and in the waste howling wilderness he led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the, <coughs> apple, of his, as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up her nest, flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them and bears them on her wings, so the Lord did lead him. And there was no strange God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of flinty rock. Butter of kine and milk of sheep with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats. With the fat of kidneys of wheat, thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. This is that Yahweh, the God of gods, who took this Abraham, his posterity, Jacob, calling him Israel, becoming the 12 tribes, the 12 sons of Jacob Israel. And the division which occurred that we spoke about already in reviewing the books and the chapters here of Hosea. Back to chapter 11. As I say, there's a lot of recapitulation in 10 and 11, and so I felt like we'd probably be able to move pretty well through it because we've covered everything that's in these verses already in the previous, or in these chapters, in previous chapters and those verses of those chapters. 11 verses 8 to 12. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? And how shall I set thee as Zeboim? My heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man the Holy One in the midst of thee, and I will not enter into the city. They shall walk after the Lord. He shall roar like a lion when he shall roar. Then the children shall tremble from the west. They shall tremble as a bird out of Egypt and as a dove out of the land of Assyria, and I will place them in their houses, says Yahweh. Ephraim compassed me about with lies in the house of Israel with deceit, but Judah yet rules with God and is faithful with the saints. Here again is that another scripture where the church world loves to say, you see, Israel is gone. Israel is being totally taken out of the equation and he rules only with Judah. 
It's just not true. We've been going over it. But in 8 to 12, how shall I give you up? He's torn. This is the same thing he expressed through the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 3.12, the 25. Let's go over there. I, I don't think that we should skip that because... that important to Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 12 25 therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together the goodness of the Lord for, for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd and of the soul and their soul shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together, for I will turn their mourning into joy, and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. I will satiate the soul of priests with fatness, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says Yahweh. Thus says Yahweh, a voice was heard in Ramah lamenting and bitter weeping, Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Thus says Yahweh, refrain thy voice from weeping and thine eyes from tears, for thy work shall be rewarded, says Yahweh, and they shall come again from the land of the enemy. And there is hope in the end, says the Lord, and their children shall come again to their own border. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised as a bullock, unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, says Yahweh. Set thee up waymarks, make thee high heaps. Set thy heart toward the highway, even the way which thou went against, uh, went. Turn again, O virgin of Israel, turn again to these thy cities. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, as yet they shall use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities thereof when I shall bring again their captivity. The Lord bless thee, O habitation of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah and there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all the cities thereof together, husbandmen, and they that go forth with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. Upon this I awakened and beheld, and my sleep was sweet unto me. So here again in Jeremiah chapter 31, We have the reminder that Israel, Ephraim, is not, not going to be forsaken. Not in the least bit. 
come back to Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, says Yahweh. I will not cause my anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, says Yahweh, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. Thou hast transgressed against Yahweh thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and ye have not obeyed my voice, says Yahweh. Turn, O backsliding children, says Yahweh, for I am married unto you. I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. I will give you pastors according to my heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding, and shall come to pass when you be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says Yahweh, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any more. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of Yahweh, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I have given inheritance unto your fathers. But I said, How shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of the nations? And I said, Thou shalt call me my father, and thou shalt not turn away from me. Surely as a wife treacherously departs from her husband, so have you dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, says Yahweh. The voice, a voice I heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way, and they have forgotten Yahweh their God. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. Behold, we come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. For shame has devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth, their flocks, their herds, their sons, and their daughters. We lie down in our shame, and our confusion covers us, for we have sinned against Yahweh our God, and we, our fathers, from our youth, even unto this day, have not obeyed the voice of Yahweh our God. How shall I deliver Israel? This is what he's asking. How shall I deliver Israel? How shall he make Israel like as Adma and Zeboim. Adma and Zeboim were two cities in the lands of Sodom and Gomorrah. So when this great punishment is due them for their forsaking the vow and the covenant of marriage at Mount Sinai, them forsaking him, how when the law of God forbid that harlotry and whoredom, how can God not execute the judgment and how will he again convey that beautiful love for him in such a way? that he would not cause them the due just punishment, which was death. 
clearly. He's looking at Israel saying, it's utter destruction, baby. And that's what he says. He says, how shall I make Israel like as Adma and Zebulun? We first learned of those two cities in the Battle of the Kings in Genesis, or yeah, in Genesis 14. Clear back in Genesis 14. This was when Abraham went back to go get rescue Lot. And shortly after, Yahweh had recorded renewing that Abrahamic covenant at Genesis 13, 14 to 18. Then that's when Lot and Abraham separated. It was to bring to mind his wrath, burning hot. In other words, the words this prophet is speaking is to, to, to bring their minds back to these cities that they knew of. You don't think Abraham told his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren those stories? This was to bring to mind that they might remember and that they might turn. And that was all recorded by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 29. In our own parent-child relationship, the father never wants it to be this way, where wrath must come. But when he knows that it must come, he has to execute it. And here the husband and wife and that love to be torn in anger and wrath. Verse 9 of Hosea 11, I will not execute the fierceness of my anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim. For I am God. I'm not a man. You know, when I hear, read those words, I think, wow, <clears throat> he knows. He knows our own wrath as a man. And how when we get wrath in our head, we want to execute wrath. But he showed us the grace and the mercy and that he was more righteous than man himself. That he wouldn't execute the fierceness of his anger. Where our own enemies, you, you look at man, you know, Russell, you and I have had conversations about this. You look at what man has done to man in just the last 150 years. Not to mention what has happened in the thousand years prior to that. Look what the doctors are doing now. Exactly. Exactly. 
and he, it's like he's, I'm not going to execute the fierceness of my anger where your own enemies would probably rip us apart, leaving nothing. And he says, I'm not going to return to destroy Ephraim. Ezekiel 28, 25, and 6. Ezekiel 37, 21 to 28. I won't take time to go there, but those are the double witnesses. Again, the mercy, the prophecy, they're all about two sticks, two houses being brought together again. The Lion of Judah roared, Revelation 10, 3. If Judah are the Jews, why do they reject such clear scriptures as verses 20 and 21? I think I wrote that thought as a reflection of of Ezekiel 37. I'm going to flip over there real quick and see. Yeah, I want to do that then. I'm going to go to Ezekiel 37. Let's begin at 15. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the household of Israel, his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in your hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Will you not show us what thou means by these? Say unto them, Thus says Yahweh not, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and I will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. And the stick whereon thou writes shall be in thine hand before their eyes. And say unto them, Thus says Yahweh, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, I'll gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be to them all, and they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. And that's why I had that note there, because I should have, went to Ezekiel 37. My note was, how can those who profess to call themselves Jews today and claim that they are Judah, why do they reject such a clear scripture in Ezekiel 21 and 22? How can they? 20 to 22. 
if he says, I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, then he cleansed their blood. Otherwise, he did not come and cleanse the blood. And we know that he did indeed cleanse the blood. He cleansed them from the iniquity, from the death, the penalty of death. It is in Christ that we have been redeemed, bought back, and the two sticks becoming as one. If they truly are Judah, they have to recognize that the two sticks were prophesied to come together as one. So either they are not actual Judah, they're professing to be Judah and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan, a synagogue of an adversary, adversaries of God, and all things biblical. Again, the mercy and the prophecies are about the two sticks, the two houses being brought together again. The Lion of Judah The Son of God, out of the tribe of Judah, did indeed come, did indeed lay down his life to bring those two sticks back together again. There's no escaping it. So either they are apostates or imposters. Brings us to Hosea chapter. Yeah, you go with what? Imposters? Hosea chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. Ephraim feeds on wind and follows after the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation. They do make a covenant with the Assyrians. Oil is carried to Egypt. The Lord also has a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his doings, will he recompense him? He took his brother by the heel in the womb and by his strength. He had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, where there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord of, is his memorial. Therefore turn thou to thy God, keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. He is a merchant, the balances of deceit are in his hand. He loves to oppress. <clears throat> Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich, I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. And I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt will yet make thee to dwell in tabernacles as in the days of the solemn feast. I have also spoken by the prophets and have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Is there iniquity in Gilead? Surely they are vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yea, their altars are as heaps, the furrows of the field. And Jacob fled into the country of Syria, and Israel served for a wife, and for a wife he kept sheep. And by a prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet was he preserved. 
Ephraim provoked him to anger most bitterly. Therefore shall he leave his blood upon him, and his reproach shall his Lord return unto him. In one to four, essentially, what you have is an appeal to Jacob, really to the memory of Jacob, if you think about it. It's an essentially an appeal to the memory of Jacob, who in righteousness had actually fled from Esau in fear of his life and wrestled with the angel of God to prevail with God, which is what Israel means, prevails with God. And right here in verse 5, even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Whose memorial? Jacob's memorial. Yahweh God is the memorial of Jacob. And he says right here, Ephraim, yet I become rich. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find no iniquity in me that were sin. He loves to cover. And he loves to ally with idolatrous nations. And boy, if that isn't representative of America and Europe, the ally with these idolatrous nations, and we love to cover our sin. looking back at 12 Ephraim says I've become rich I've found me out substance in all my labors oh man I just I pulled up that debt clock this evening talking to somebody today and mentioned it 164 trillion dollars 164 trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities US unfunded liabilities includes social security Medicare parts A, B, C, and D, or A, B, and D, or whatever it is. Um, Federal debt held by the public, which means anybody that's got municipal bonds or federal, holding any federal debt. Federal employee and veteran benefits 
all the benefits to all the federal employees for all the years that they get benefits, any veterans benefits, $164 trillion, $250 billion. $164 trillion, $250 billion. It represents a half a million dollars of every man, woman, and child. But we're rich. Don't you know, Doug? We're rich. There's a reason it costs you eighty to a hundred thousand dollars for a pickup truck. I guess you could say sixty to a hundred thousand because I guess you can get a truck for sixty thousand. We got three and four generations of retirees that have to be paid because we didn't require our own individuals to plan for their own retirements. We told them that if they did this, then we would give them that. And is there any wonder they want to kill off major portions of the population 25 to 50 years at a crack because their system doesn't work. It's broken. Lest the people should find out and they revolt and they turn against those people and they rend them asunder. In... in, In verses 1 to 4, there's that reference to Esau or to being on the heel. And we all are pretty familiar with that, but I I don't think it's any accident that, that he's trying to convey He's trying to convey that Jacob fought. He fought and wrestled with an angel of God to hold this position. The position of righteousness in the creation. The position that would get abundance of blessing because he executed judgment and righteousness in the land. Listen to these scriptures. He tells us the pretense basically of Ephraim is is deceitful while professing righteousness. Ephraim is rich in abundance and and attributes it all to his labors. I mean, has that not been the mantra of the people in the last 
six years make America great again? We're going to make great America great again. Not that God's going to be returned to our land and God's name and his glory is going to be great again. In verse 8, Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. I found me substance in all my layers. They shall find no iniquity in me that were sin. Prophecies, visions, similitudes, they've all been employed by God to convey the iniquity of Gilead and Gilgal. Though Israel served as the wife of God, a shepherd of his people, the queen, if you will, to his people, he's the one who brought her out of Egypt. He's the one who preserved her. Many are the Christians today, and indeed the televangelists and the like, incessantly crowing about our agreements with nations round about us. That the biblical record reflects God's disdain of those agreements as offenses to their trust in and upon him. Ephraim feeds on wind, 12.1, and follows after the east wind. He daily increases lies and desolation, and they do make covenants with the Assyrians, and oil is carried into Egypt. We have carried our oil into China. We've carried our oil into everywhere else. We've made our covenants with all these different Nations, we're all going to get along, got, and we got all of our agreements, and yet the biblical record says, no, no, you're supposed to put your trust in me. You're supposed to, in your land, abide in my will. Everybody in the land is supposed to abide in the will. And so when he says Ephraim daily increases lies by them and becomes more desolate, it seems to me that we're in that situation where lies are daily increased and we become more desolate. So is it because of according to our ways and our doings? that these recompenses are coming upon us because we will not abide in the will of God? The, the reference to merchant at verse 7, that's one of those similitudes. It's a visible likeness to the oppressive ways which are accomplished by deceit. See, they've told us 
that, oh, you're going to have this wonderful retirement. And then we wonder why they're trying to kill us as we get older, inject things in us that will cause us to die, bring us more diseases, more cancers, more whatever, And, you know, you can easily see this in communist countries, but in Western countries, we ignore that these same merchants become wealthy by cheating and oppressing the underclass. So rather than trusting in God and their national sovereignty, they make these international agreements which profit international trade cartels who wax rich. Just amazing. Amazing. When one looks at the big picture, Ephraim, Israel, when caught in the lie of the covenant of his lips at Sinai, he went to the Assyria's king Shalmaneser and found the tribute for his protection too burdensome. So he broke that commitment and that covenant and then sought one with Egypt and once Ephraim Israel had dealt falsely with God it was no leap of faith to do so with men and he used this very Assyrian to now cripple Jacob Israel You'd think that these pleadings and similitudes would have had their impression. Rather, at verse 14, Ephraim provoked him to anger. And that's all at 2 Kings 17. Chapter 13, Hosea. 1 to 6. When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel, but when he offended in Baal, he died. And now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver, their idols, according to their own understanding, all of it, the work of the craftsmen. They say unto them, they say of them, let men that sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore, they shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passes away as the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, and as the smoke out of the chimney. Yet I am the Lord, thy God, from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. I did know thee in the wilderness, in the land of the great drought, according to their pastures, so they were filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted, therefore have they forgotten me. The salient verse of the chapter here at chapter 13 is, is really verses 1, 10, and 14. In verse 1, Ephraim is portrayed as such that when he, when he spoke, there was trembling. 
Ephraim became the greatest tribe in Israel, and therefore it was exalted in Israel. But make no mistake, at Genesis 48, 14, when Jacob intended to bless, and he passed that blessing on Ephraim and Manasseh, he said that he would be the strongest and the most ambitious. Just every time you read these words, they're dealing with the same people. In Second Kings chapter 17 is the record of Ephraim Israel's sins in walking in the statutes of the heathen and leaving the commandments of God to follow and serve Baal. Thus Ephraim Israel, it says, is dead. He's dead because he's just committed the flagrant foul that causes death. And that reference to kiss the calves, it was actually something that they did. It was hung around the neck and they kiss it for goodwill. Rich, do you remember anything else that people hang around their neck and kiss for goodwill? You know, I think I'm the not, Italians have a horn. Italians yeah, they have do. a horn. What about those Catholics having those beads they hang around their necks and kiss them too? <laughs> oh, yeah. Rosary beads. There you go. I figured you'd jump on that one right off the bat. Say again, Russell. I've noticed this connection between the mask and the the Jew beanies. Uh, the one that, you know, they got to be covered when they go in their church. Doesn't matter what you are. Everybody puts on a little beanie. And so they want our, they want that beanie on our mouth. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about the kiss the calves, that's from 1 Kings 19.18 where Elijah is told Yahweh uh, has reserved, uh, where Yahweh tells Elijah uh, that he's reserved 7,000 who have not bent the knees to Baal nor kissed him. See, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. They, they hung that around their neck. That was their Baal God deity, you see. All in accordance with Isaiah 43, Deuteronomy 8 and 32. Amazing. Yeah. 13 verse 7. Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard by the way will I observe them. Think of that. God is sitting side just like a bear to the prey, a lion, a leopard by the way. Just observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps, and I will rend the call of their heart. And there will I devour them like a lion, and the wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is your help. I will be thy king where is any other that may save thee in all your cities. 
and thy judges of whom thou said, Give me a king and princes? I gave thee a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up in his uh, up. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the place of the breaking forth of children. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from my eyes. Though he be fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come up from the wilderness, and his springs shall become dry. His fountain shall be dried up. He shall spoil the treasure of all pleasant vessels. Samaria shall become desolate, for she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up. Oh, boy, this is a God of love, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it really is. When you think about it, he really does want to make an impression. And verses 7 to 9, you know, that's a recapitulation again. Israel causing his own punishment, separated from Yahweh by sin. Same thing that we saw in Adam. Same thing we see in history. And verse 10 to 13 that we read there, that's in reference to 1 Samuel 8, where they asked for a king. Where their king failed to satisfy, they went to the heathen all around them, said, can you protect us, even though he was their king? Deuteronomy 32, 34, Isaiah 13, Jeremiah 30 that he'd be their king. 13.1, that's where he said, when he offended in Baal, he died. And here in verse 14, he says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Paul right there in Ezekiel 37, Isaiah 25. And actually, Paul even refers to it in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, to probably about 57. There is no doubt only righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Hang with us. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thy iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all your iniquity. Receive us graciously, so will we render the calves upon our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses, neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are our God. For in thee the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from them. I will be as the dew unto Israel. He shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread, and his beauty shall be as the olive tree, and his smell as a Lebanon. 
They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is your fruit found, is thy fruit found. Who is wise? He shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and just to walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. He makes no bones here at verse 9. Make no mistake, he says, only the wise shall understand. The prudent will know. The ways of Yahweh are right and just and shall walk in them, but transgressors shall fall. John 8, 47, 18, 37, 1 Peter 2, 7 and 9, Psalms 52. The whole biblical record, indeed, the good news was the physical redemption of Jacob Israel. Dead in her sin, yet made alive by the blood and the body of Christ. We really should, I remember, is that in the first, should be in the first couple chapters of Luke. Turn to Luke real quick and we'll wrap it up. Because I think that's, important yeah Luke um, let's start at Luke chapter 2 verse 25 behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost was upon him waiting for the consolation of Israel. So here was a man of God named Simeon, just and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the nations and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Simeon blessed them, said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Well, let's continue. Verse 36, there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phinuel of the tribe of Asher. She was a great, of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. 
And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which depart not from the temple, but serve God with fastings, prayers, night and day. And she, coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto Yahweh and unto the Lord, and spake unto him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. So here we have of the tribe of Asher, a widow of 84 years. So she was probably about 106 to 110 years old if you assumed she became a wife somewhere in the 16 to 20 year range. She was a widow for 84 years and she'd been married seven years. So this was quite an old woman. And there she was, speaking to all them also, looking for redemption in Israel. And these are who, these are the people whom God foreknew at Romans 11 too. And they did not cast off, that he did not cast off, although they were the children of wrath. This truly is the greatest love story of the ages. His relationship with his bride Israel. The death, burial, and resurrection of God himself, Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, laid down his life for the sin penalty of death that was due Israel for her sin. He laid down his life instead of her laying down her life. He gave his life that he could be married to her again and she could be married to him again. And this is why Hosea had to go through what he went through with Gomer. God wanted him to feel every single thing that he felt from his bride, Jacob Israel. And that's the good news. That's what all this is about from Genesis to Revelation. This is the greatest love story of the ages. God required Hosea to personally experience the whorish behavior of a wife of harlotry that he might know feel, understand faithless Israel's disregard of his promises to her in obedience. Israel today has given inordinate reverence, worship, to that made with hands and the pride of our work 
and performance. We are indeed saying the work of our hands, that of our making has made us rich, that we're miserable, wretched, naked, and poor. Pride of the glory of our God is last upon our minds. It remains in God's prerogative to help the penitent, not the arrogant, the prideful, who say that they do nothing wrong. It really is here in this prophet Hosea, we should truly find the voice of God calling. Turn. Change of course is required to return. If you think about it, he has always been the first to seek reconciliation. In our own parent-child relationships, we're the same way. The parent yearns, seeks, and does everything within his power to make reconciliation before the child ever utters a word of reconciliation. God has simply been saying to us all along, why do you turn to man and not turn to me? Heavenly Father, what a glory it is to have your name on our names. What a glory and an honor to take your name upon us. Profess and call ourselves sons of Christ, Christ. What a glory and an honor it is to have you call us sons and daughters. Father, I thank you for making us white. I thank you for laying down that life. Redeem us to you. to walk with us as our king forever. Father, we don't always understand what it is you need or want and how we're to do it. And the wicked seem to rise higher and higher amongst us. Lord, I can see the cause and effect. Been there all along. We turn from you. They'll just say that it was our unjust laws, you see. And that's what they're doing. Our laws have to be changed, but if they're your laws, they can't argue with them. can't modify them, they can't adjust them, or they can try, 
will try. It's our duty and our job to carry out your will. That's the commission you gave us. So, Father, I pray for your people all over the land. I know you only need a remnant, only want to work with a remnant. Father, we ask, let it be us. Use us in whatever way you you seek. Let us know the time and the hour. In the meantime, we're going to be about the Father's business, reading, learning, studying, so that when He said, when you say to us, go here and do this, we won't say, huh, what? Ever heard of that? Don't know what that's all about. Can you explain it to me? We know that you'll simply say, next. You're looking for those righteous ones that carry out your will. Father, I pray for those people that really are trying to do that right now. I pray for those that are taking seriously these crimes and are seeking to have justice be done. I pray for them. I pray that you'll find righteous men and Positions of justice all over the lands, all over your creation that will actually seek to do justice, that there will be a great shift in turning the hearts of the men back to the God of all creation. I ask, Father, for your will to be done. Trust in it. I desire it. I see it being done in the heavens, and I thank you, Father. All that you've done to expose so much in the past decade. I pray it's enough that it's starting to turn your people back to you. Thank you. Blessings that you give me and the fellowship with these men and women here. Thank you, Father, for all the people that have been taking time to listen to some of the fellowships we've had. Hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds. Pray that they're being edified by Him. Ask that Your will be done in all those audios. with them from your word. Father, I pray your continued retribution upon the children of wickedness. Hammer fall, let it come down. Father, not in arrogance, if we've done nothing wrong, lay down with them. Ask these things, Father, in the blessed holy name when you gave our sin might be washed away.
Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessings upon those Canadian truckers. We ask your blessings upon their family. Keep them safe. No matter how many SWAT teams they pull out, Father, let you stand between them. Give them victory. There's a lot of them praying in your name right now. We ask your blessings, your mercy, your love and guidance for them. And may you be glorified in this whole thing as they do their best to save their children from the deadly shots. Pray it in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, good night, all. Good night, all next week. All right, good night. Good night.